Hello and welcome to the Adventure Investor in Conversation. In this episode, I catch up with Michael Zieg from Zurich Swiss-based asset manager Thomas Lloyd, who also runs a UK investment trust, a UK renewables investment trust. Their real focus is on impact investing, particularly in emerging or developing markets. And they're the perfect people to talk to about what's going to happen with a net zero and renewables transition in places like India, Philippines and Vietnam. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Adventurous Investor in Conversation. I'm delighted to have with me Michael Zieg from Thomas Lloyd. Hello, Michael. Can you hear me okay? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, David, for having me today. Lovely. Uh, we're going to talk. Michael is the go-to person if you want to talk to uh, talk to about renewable energy, particularly the developing markets, the emerging markets, the developing world. Um, and we'll talk a bit about what you're actually up to in, in your investment trust towards the end of this conversation. But I thought you're the perfect go-to person to talk about how renewables are playing out in various developing countries, particularly in Asia. Um, now, I know that you have assets in India, uh, you have assets in the Philippines, but there's a lot of other countries in Asia. So what I thought I'd do is I'd go through some of the countries and just talk through what are the opportunities and the challenges. First of all, though, let's get a sense of the scale. How big is the renewables moment in Asia Pacific, excluding Japan? or Southeast Asia or India, whatever, whatever regional group you want to do. How big is it at the moment and how big is the potential opportunity? So what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the direction of travel? What, mm-hmm. Are there any big numbers that really sum this up? I think um, the numbers we can provide are across the four target markets which we um, work on and invest in at the moment. That includes India, Vietnam, the Philippines and Indonesia. Um, they have been uh, addressing that uh, uh, numbers and publish these numbers um, from their Department of Energies and other uh, regulatory bodies in the countries. And they have forecast uh, what they require to build out the power generation infrastructure in the respective um, countries over the coming uh, approximately 20 years requires a stunning 7.4 trillion US dollars to add okay. new additional capacity um, for meeting uh, the forecasted uh, insulation uh, capacity required to deal with population growth, economic growth, and uh, the needs of urbanization and higher per capita consumption in these countries. So how big, uh, any sense of how many, uh, is that gigawatts? I, I don't know, is it, it's prob- that might be an even bigger than gigawatts, might it? It's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of them. It's, it's a lot of gigawatts and, and potentially terawatts in a sense. Um, when you probably try to, to find some numbers you can grab, I think two comparisons which, which people uh, seem to understand is the Philippines will require $156 uh, billion between now and 2030 um, to build out the power generation um, to meet their forecasts in the country. India alone needs to uh, build in the next 20 years the entire energy uh, infrastructure Europe has from a generation capacity standpoint today new to meet their demand forecast. So we talk about enormous volumes and enormous growth opportunities going alongside that. Um, again, looking collectively at the four of them before we sort of we dive down into international mm-hmm. markets, I suppose the core challenge for a climate change uh, agenda is mm-hmm. and we're, we're talking just as COP27 is underway 
is that a lot of these countries have also been building kind of legacy energy infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, Indonesia, I know a lot of coal-fired power stations. I know India has been building them. I know that that pace of growth is slowing down. Mm-hmm. What's the main challenger? Is it still gas or is it coal that is the main? Mm-hmm. Can can you still hear me? Yes, I can still hear you. Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, I think the main challengers um, vary slightly on a country by country basis. Uh, for sure, coal, um, in particular, in countries where there are large uh, natural domestic reserves, including Indonesia and India. Um, play important uh, parts in their local energy mix. Um, gas, probably to a lesser extent. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, oil, um, uh, heavy oil in a sense, is still an important part, in particular okay. in rural parts of the country. Um, so these are probably the challengers. Um, but I think what is important, uh, therefore I would refuse now anymore to use the word challenger, that in most of our target countries, um, and that's one of the reasons why we've selected them. Um, the renewable uh, sector, in particular solar and wind, have a couple of years ago passed uh, grid parity, okay. which means that uh, today uh, renewables can deliver uh, cheaper a kilowatt hour, in a sense, than their fossil fuel competitors. And is that true for all four countries? That is definitely true for India, which is probably uh, providing renewables, in particular solar and wind, on the largest scale and is amongst the five largest markets globally, uh, both for wind as well as for solar. Um, the last auction we have won uh, to have a concrete sample in India came in approximately 60% cheaper on oh, wow. a per kilowatt hour, in a sense, than a new coal plant uh, okay. would require to build. So that is obviously a win-win situation uh, for both the environment as well as for the local consumer, because different in our target markets to Europe, we are not in an energy transition situation in a sense like Europe and North America, where we're substituting, replacing existing capacity. In our markets, we are adding new capacity to meet new yeah. demand. Okay. Uh, I'll look again at the individual national markets. I want to talk mm-hmm. about India and grid connections. Um, mm-hmm. But in the mix between wind and solar, just give me a narrative about those two rival technologies. How are they playing out in these big four markets? Is it mostly solar or is it mostly wind or does it vary? I think you see a combination of most of them in a sense as the states naturally tend uh, to utilize all the available resources on the ground. Where uh, in India, in a sense, um, and I don't have the latest numbers at hand, um, you see states like Tamil Nadu uh, among the five or ten largest wind markets. So one state in India alone is amongst the ten largest wind markets globally. And right. you compare that to the likes of Germany, uh, uh, the UK and others. Um, so there is clearly wind uh, uh, on the onshore side involved in India. Uh, not to a large extent offshore at that point. Solar clearly plays a significant role in the country's energy agenda going forward, um, and in particular the new power plan, which uh, has been uh, announced up to 2030 um, for a total of a build-out of 450 gigawatts of renewable capacity in the country. The major bulk of that will be in solar, so you talk about uh, ground-mounted utility-scale solar. That's the focus in India. In uh, Vietnam, you have a complete uh, different picture, our uh, newest market, in a sense, which we have just announced a few days ago. Um, Here, uh, we see a country which has uh, been reliable on, to a large extent, uh, fossil fuels, plus uh, the usage of hydro was uh, big as the second largest source of energy in the country until quite recently. 
And then the entrance into renewables, uh, namely solar and wind, has just happened uh, within the last five years. Vietnam has announced its first uh, feeding tariff, uh, its first PDP program in 2017-18 to the market and has seen since a massive build-out of capacity um, in the country uh, lately, in a sense, in 2019 and 20, where the country, in a sense, added more than 10 gigawatts of uh, solar capacity uh, 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 to the local grid. And today, solar plays actually the largest, uh, so the third largest uh, role in the energy mix of the country, I think, adding out of my hat uh, 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 more than 20% to the total capacity needs of the country. Whereby we see in Vietnam, different to India, there a lot being rooftop solar. Okay. Uh, on commercial and industrial uh, uh, roofs and that on large scale across the country's production facilities. What about Indonesia? That's a, that's a, that's a huge country. How's that playing out? <laughs> Indonesia as a country, we haven't entered uh, yet. Uh, Indonesia, in a sense, uh, laying on the ring of fire, um, obviously has uh, is a large player in geothermal. Yep. as is uh, the Philippines, which is a predominantly uh, state and government-driven uh, industry. Um, as far as renewables, uh, classically, wind and solar are concerned, we don't see projects there yet of large scale. Um, actually, the industry hasn't really started off yet there compared to many neighboring countries uh, where you talk already in the gigawatts of capacity. Um, we believe, in a sense, there are probably some last pushes and initiatives necessary on our, uh, the, uh, the government side uh, in respect of legislation. Uh, pricing, offtake agreements, and uh, the uh, the protocols around that. And then second, uh, I think clearly uh, it's a preparation for the grid uh, yeah. to take a lot of renewable capacity in the country, which has historically been uh, very dominated uh, inter alia by coal. Okay. Um, again, before we just go to the national markets, some countries aren't on your list. So the big ones would probably be uh, Malaysia, Thailand, mm-hmm. Yes. And I suppose I've got to mention China, <laughs> which isn't exactly backward when it's coming to renewables. Um, I think I could possibly guess one reason why it might not be in China. But mm-hmm. what about those other three countries? Um, I think talking about these other countries, including China, China is um, in pretty much all renewable technologies uh, amongst uh, uh, the top three yeah. largest uh, installation uh, installers, in a sense, uh, globally, if not number one. Um, but I think when we talk about why we are in certain countries, all countries we have selected so far as, as part of our investment analyzers are deliberate decisions to be in certain countries or not to be in others um, for particular reasons. Um, Malaysia um, so far is something where we yet have not seen um, governance structures which um, have fulfilled the criteria uh, which we would ask country and procedures and processes uh, uh, to have um, for us, and in particular on behalf of TLEI, um, to enter a market uh, up on. I think that's uh, one element. The second part is also uh, the scale of the opportunity and the uh, the uh, regulatory processes around that have not been yet as attractive as other markets in the region. Okay. Um, therefore, for us currently, a market which is not on uh, our uh, target list at this particular moment. It's been observed. It's been monitored as many other markets. We are not in uh, on a steady basis, in a sense, uh, a watch and brief, and we will see how things evolve. 
Same like Thailand. Thailand was a very attractive market um, and one of the rising stars, in particular around solar um, in the uh, earlier 2000s, in a sense, in particular uh, until uh, uh, 2010 and probably in the years after 2010. Um, however, um, one of the aspects which is for us very important and for our investors, uh, which uh, their capital we invest on, on their behalf, is clearly a governance framework. It's about... Uh, the right of uh, or the acceptance of uh, foreign investor rights, um, the enforcement of law, and many, many other aspects, which every investor in any country in any mm. technology and sector would obviously uh, care about. And uh, obviously, since uh, the military junta, in a sense, has taken over control, um, we feel that uh, Thailand currently not fulfills some okay. of the criteria which are for us important uh, from a governance standpoint. No, no, that makes sense. Despite um, okay. the plentiful resource, obviously, of sunshine as well as wind. Absolutely, plenty of it. Okay, mm -hmm. let's start looking at individual nations. India is the obvious elephant in, mm -hmm. in the room. Mm -hmm. um, you said that you're already at grid parity, um, mm -hmm. in fact, below grid parity. It's many so, years ago. Yeah, so why doesn't the whole system just, I, I know the answer, but why doesn't the whole system just <laughs> flip over to renewables and just shut those coal-fired power stations down now? I think what we see in India is, um, to some extent, probably on a, on a faster and larger extent, uh, symbolic um, for most parts of the region. Most of them, in a sense, are in the tropical, subtropical climate zones around the equator. So naturally, um, resources are plentiful. That's both true uh, for wind, uh, it's obvious for solar, but also for biomass. Um, what we see there is a, a method of uh, a, a stick and carrot uh, in one way. Um, on the one end, we see uh, that a variety of these countries, in a sense, in line with their 2050 uh, net zero targets or their local um, energy policies, have either abandoned um, approvals or permissions um, for new coal plants to be built. Um, so we see moratoriums in some of these countries as uh, policy measurements. Um, on the other side, um, what we see is uh, a clear encouragement um, for renewables to be installed with a supportive legacy that might include um, things like priority dispatch um, in the yeah. energy mix in the grid, uh, might include other um, uh, positive legislation, build out um, fast track on permissions, public auctions, tenders, and many other things. The good thing, what is not required anymore, which was the face of renewables in Europe for the past 20 years, it's they don't require subsidies anymore. Therefore, yeah. the government, in a sense, doesn't act as a top-up payer. You don't um, put additional burdens or charges on the consumer and uh, therefore put yourself at the risk of, of uh, 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 disagreement, in a sense, in both population or subsequent governments. Uh, what you have, we are the cheapest form to deliver electricity in these markets of any. And uh, why you still have uh, uh, coal and gas and others still in the mix is, is the obvious one. You can't run a grid just based yeah. on peak load capacity. So wind yeah. and solar alone won't be able to provide yeah. a 24-7, 365 mix to the grid. So therefore, base load is required. Where can that come from? It's wind, uh, sorry, it's uh, hydro, obviously, in the one end where that is available uh, and a source. Um, where you have geothermal, which can add to the mix. That's clearly also helpful on base load. And then you are pretty much out of options. So that is one of the reasons why for us, biomass and bioenergy uh, has to play such an important role in two ways to uh, build new generation capacity to make use of agricultural waste or municipal waste, uh, which is plentiful available uh, in the region, 
or on the other side um, to uh, uh, help to retrofit existing coal plants, which is also a relatively yeah. fast and cheap and quick to deploy solution um, to uh, 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 disencourage uh, new coal capacity to be built and have still a stable grid solution at uh, viable conditions. Okay. Um, uh, is there, are there any connection issues? Um, uh, the UK is very strong on offshore wind, but, you know, even the UK has, offshore, has connection issues, let's be honest, yeah? Um, uh, as, as, as has Germany, as have others, uh, we have seen multiple <laughs> offshore wind parks where the windmill was actually performing extremely well, uh, only the cable, in a sense, to connect it to land yes. <laughs> uh, wasn't available yet. So I think that's an issue clearly you have. I think one of the challenges you see when you build out capacity very fast is to keep the balance um, between the um, the power generation capacity added to the grid, the type of technology you add, and therefore the nature of what you add to the grid on the one, and the build out of the grid on the other side. In most of the states we invest in, uh, the grid itself is still government or state owned. Um, what we see in a sense are two trends in some of our markets are the clear commitment of the government as that has been identified as a weak spot. Um, clearly of the build out that the transmission grid has to be able to take new capacity. So we see clearly a commitment from governments and other governments to invest significantly into the build out of the grid infrastructure, transmission and distribution infrastructure. On the one hand, uh, also to impose uh, local utilities in a sense to do so uh, also. But also we see some trends of uh, privatization efforts in a sense, in particular where private entities build that um, operated in a sense for 10 or 20 years before the state then in a sense buys it back and takes it back into national uh, ownership. So I think the willingness is there. The issue is identified. We have seen that very concretely in Vietnam. Vietnam had uh, uh, their first feeding tariff in uh, the regions of 18, 19, 20, were completely overwhelmed by the global response and capital inflows into the country had new installed uh, 10 to 15 gigawatt of capacity way beyond anything they could have hoped for. The problem is, in a sense, you had a lot of stranded capacities a few years ago, in a sense, which couldn't uh, export to the grid because the grid was just not able to take it and to distribute it across the countries uh, uh, to the places where the uh, uh, energy has been consumed. Um, with that said, that has been spotted as a weak spot. We have seen massive investment in Vietnam in the build-out and currently, and that's the reason why we have waited um, for a couple of years um, behind the first initial gold rush, which you see in pretty much all of these markets uh, in the first place. So we have stood on the sideline, monitored the market, have now seen the build-out of the grid infrastructure and would expect that with the announcement of PDP-8, which is the next expected feeding tariff regime coming into Vietnam in Q4 this year or Q1 next year um, to participate in that one then and be ready uh, uh, to contribute there in the Vietnamese market on large scale. Okay. I, I, this is a Michael, this is a very difficult question to answer. I'm going to ask it anyway. Which of the four markets that you're focused on do you think will get to the highest renewable penetration? Let's, for argument's sake, say 40, 50, 60, 70 percent over the next 10 years. Which do you think of the four is making the fastest progress to getting closer to that kind of that that big number, certainly over 50 percent? I think it starts with the definition, what is renewable. And I think what you see that many of the markets have a different definition to us in yeah. Europe. Uh, most of the markets, for an example, hydro or geothermal is not seen as renewable. 
okay. uh, where in Europe it would clearly count in. But given they are forming part of their long-term yeah. uh, uh, power generation makes for 30, 40, 50 years or longer, uh, it's not under the renewable term, which in most of our markets just covers wind, yeah. solar, and bioenergy. Um, including hydro, including geothermal, I would believe that uh, the Philippines... Um, and Vietnam clearly have the perspectives, in a sense, to make in the next 10, 15 years a step into ranges of the 50, 60 percent plus. Okay. I think it depends pretty much on the utilization of hydro. Um, it depends on how much hydro can be used as storage, yep. in a sense, uh, up and until the point where battery storage or other solutions um, get viable from a commercial standpoint, which today works well for corporates, factories, private homes, but not yet on a utility scale level for regions, countries, or large cities. Oh, actually, Michael, um, uh, Michael, I was going to interrupt you there. Uh, on battery storage, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, uh, for total disclosure, I'm on battery storage fund as a non-exec director, so I know a bit okay. about it. Um, sure. But is, is, that, is that emerging anywhere in, in, the, in the, the four markets, you see? Because yes. grid, grid scale does work. Absolutely. Uh, and to balance the grid, I think we see there are very interesting approaches. And for an example, in India, what we see now since approximately 24 months is that on larger scale and larger frequency, uh, a lot of the new auctions coming up in two ways, either as a combination of solar and wind now, or as a combination in a sense of solar plus storage or wind plus storage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So therefore, in a sense, storage will play and has to play. Don't get me wrong there. Uh, a very, very important role, but different to most of the European and North American market where um, clearly government uh, wealth and uh, uh, the financial strengths of countries allows, in a sense, to um, ramp up these technologies faster and uh, promote some of these technologies, in a sense, uh, to gain scale in the countries yeah. with some additional uh, subsidies, in a sense, that is in most of our markets commercially not feasible. So therefore, in a sense, before something hasn't reached commercial viability, it is uh, usually nothing which plays a large scale role in our markets. Okay, um, it's clear there's an opportunity here. But mm -hmm. you're, you're, in a sense, you're quite lonely as a fund, the, the Thomas Lloyd Fund on the <laughs> London market, because you're the only one dealing really with re uh, renewables in, in emerging markets. Um, why do you think that there's not so much money gone in? I mean, there's a lot of investor money gone into renewables funds based in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you have launched your fund, um, but it, you're the only one. Uh, but you are raising some extra money as we speak. <laughs> I think... Um, uh, Someone always has, unfortunately, to be the first one. Um, and on that occasion, that was us. I think what we see, and I think we need to differentiate therefore on two parts. What we see is that the markets we are investing in, uh, which we describe as emerging and developing Asia, um, are growing at massive and significant scale. And that's not just the demand uh, uh, on the one end, that's also the capital inflows. But in our markets, in a sense, uh, different to Europe, where uh, privatization since the 2-1 Renewable Energy Act, in a sense, um, has taken off uh, 20 years ago. And therefore, uh, private capital, private sector and institutional capital plays a much larger role that is just about to start off in our target market. So on our end, um, sovereign investor, governments, utilities, in a sense, still play the largest role in scope. Yeah. However, what we see is, in a sense, that step by step in large markets as India, you see large global private equity houses, in a sense, making their first footprint in. Um, as far as institutional capital is concerned, predominantly GPLP structures, so the classical infrastructure vehicles, 
10 plus X years, in a sense, uh, large sums of commitments, in a sense, are the way how the markets have been approached. Listed vehicles, in a sense, uh, we were the first one offering that, uh, in particular to the wholesale market or to the smaller institutional markets, to participants who are not able and in a position to write a $50 million check in one go for one investment or one product, one strategy, and commit to capital for 10 to 15 or 20 years. Um, so I think that is something we see. We see also that uh, utilities in the space uh, regionally are growing extremely fast. And we see large global pension funds, in a sense, in particular from Canada and North America, in a sense, making their first footprint in. But these are strategic initiatives on their end, where, again, you talk about amounts usually in the billions. They are willing to commit, um, build local platforms, local teams, hire anywhere over 50, 100 people on the ground to build these platforms out. So where for them at their scale, it works as early adopters. Uh, the wider wholesale institutional markets are just about, in a sense, to go in. That is why we believe it's, it's still a hidden gem, in a sense, despite these markets are anything else than exotic. Um, the markets we are talking about uh, with uh, the countries mentioned, India, Vietnam, the Philippines, whatever, are amongst the 10 largest RE markets globally by scale and by installed capacity. Okay, uh, let's finish off just talking about a couple of developments for the fund, the listed fund mm-hmm. in London. You've sure. uh, announced a deal in Vietnam. You've talked a bit about Vietnam. Um, mm-hmm. You've also announced that you're doing some extra fundraising. Just talk us Correct. through the rationale for both of those and what, what the plans and the timescales are. I think the plans uh, on the fundraising end, in a sense, uh, for us, uh, uh, when launched uh, uh, the platform and launched the fund uh, back in the day, it was obvious uh, that that would not be a one-off fundraise, but the strategy and plan uh, is to, over the medium and long term uh, to grow the trust, to grow the Thomas Lloyd Energy Impact Trust uh, uh, to scale um, for all the reasons, in a sense, uh, other trusts would have also, but also in a sense, in line with the market opportunity uh, our target markets offer uh, to us and to investors. Um, in that context, in a sense, uh, a placement program um, has been put in place um, as part of the initial race uh, with a quite significant volume in a sense of 600 million and approved capital of 1 billion already to reflect the opportunity the markets have. Um, Why have we gone out uh, now in particular? I think for us it was important to deliver, first of all, in a sense, uh, towards our existing investors on the promises, in a sense, uh, we have made um, in line and stated in the prospectus. So that includes, in a sense, uh, reaching substantial deployment in the portfolio. Uh, That is obviously in line with uh, reaching um, our dividend as well as our uh, uh, return targets, in a sense, for the portfolio to be uh, built up. But I think also for us, essential was to establish um, our footprint and TLI's footprint in the respective markets, where for all of these markets, we talk about regulated energy infrastructure. There is an entry process, which is quite time consuming, which is Mm -hmm. the same for everyone, in a sense, who wants uh, uh, to act in these markets. Um, you have uh, to register, in a sense, as a foreign direct investor. You have to seek a variety of different government approvals, um, central bank approvals, et cetera, et cetera. That is something which consumes quite a lot of time and is a quite intense process. Where in the Philippines, uh, we have benefited from Thomas Lloyd's legacy track record, acting and operating and investing in the country uh, now for more than a decade. In India, in a sense, uh, that benefit wasn't there. So you have to go on a vehicle-by-vehicle basis, in a sense, to gain uh, the same approval even if the investment manager, in a sense, is exactly yeah. the same and has seeked the same approval, in a sense, for many other vehicles already previously. So for us, therefore, we believe we are now in a position that we have established the local platforms. Therefore, we can 
uh, take investment in a sense, deploy it efficiently. We can deploy at scale because uh, auctions are coming up in a sense in our countries on a regular basis. We need to remember different uh, to other funds. We are not uh, uh, focusing primarily in a sense on buying assets in the secondary market, which wouldn't make much sense in our target markets anyway. It's about building new generation capacity um, for the grid. And uh, with a trust, uh, uh, we are now in a position, in a sense, to participate in auctions, secure the right PPAs, uh, the right land, um, the right permissions, in a sense, uh, to get to construction ready stage in an efficient way. Um, uh, as for any capital increase we do from here now on going forward, so we can deploy fast and on a scalable level. That was for us the right point, in a sense, together with Vietnam, having announced uh, the three uh, a quarter or the third quarter results in a sense a couple of days ago um, having obviously COP27 out in a sense at the moment making the big statement about we need to shift renewable energy investment yeah. from the west towards the east yeah. where we felt actually it's the right time now uh, uh, to gain back to markets um, also having seen a lot of interest from investors historically which uh, couldn't due to time and other aspects um, participate in the IPO but we are in conversations with already for a year and a half so okay well, good luck in these uh, difficult markets, Michael. Thank you very much for giving me your time. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.